1: In for some trouble. Spider-Sense else's Spider-Sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm
0: Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? Probably not, but uh, honestly, it's unclear. Venom is here. So, like, sometimes yes, but sometimes no. To listen to this show, find us on FourEyedRadio.com and wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit RevengeLover.com. Before we get into today's episode, we've got a bit of business. Last week, we did have some word snappers, the first ones in a while, I think. And those words um, were appropriate because I think they were probably sent like right around Halloween or maybe right after it. Um, But of course, you probably heard them long after Halloween. Either way, they fit the episode we were talking about because those words were soul shocking shrieking skulls submitted by Carl Linderholm which appropriately was in the episode tombstone where they happened Mm -hmm. to be like in a Gothic Dracula castle. So all worked out
0: (laughs) so appropriate that I didn't even realize you were doing it and forgot that you did it until just now when you reminded us that you did.
1: Um, that's why we take copious notes because I also forgot (laughs) that we did that and had to really think hard to when I even brought Uh them up in the last
0: episode. so. (laughs) So good job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good job me. This is uh this is one of the one of the big ones, I guess. Only big because everybody talks about the Venom and Carnage stuff from from this show. Because uh, yes. this is when the Venom's back. Venom's back. It's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal at the time. Uh, it's the episode where Venom comes back and he has a baby.
0: Yeah, it's the, the I think prank- it's still a big deal. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. given that we're in the third season, we've only really talked about Venom once. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it still feels like a big deal to this we day.
1: Yeah, and I mean. We haven't really talked about Carnage that much on this podcast either, because, like, I mean, I guess we talked about him a, kind of a lot in Spider-Man Unlimited, but he was like a weird regular character there. I was going to say, like, we
0: talked about him plenty then.
1: I guess, but I don't know, it felt different because it was such a weird use of him. We in haven't terms talked of- about
0: Cletus Cassidy.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because no other show that we've covered has done a Carnage origin story in this way. Like this is just a pretty basic it's run of not run of the mill at all. Actually, they do a lot of weird things with it. But in terms of it being an origin story, this is the Carnage origin story in this episode and, and next week's as well. So that it is sort of interesting because this is the first time that we're really dealing with that on our show, which is which is kind of wild to think about considering how like prominent he was in the comics for such a long time and has continued to be that like, he really, I guess, hasn't, I don't, maybe it's just because we haven't done like ultimate Spider-Man yet, but it is sort of odd to me, like how little he has popped up <laughs> on anything that we've covered on this
0: podcast. No, you know? I don't. I, I mean, I think that, but also the fact that we're talking about the 90s show, which is the one anybody our age typically knows best The fact that Carnage made such a big impact uh, and we haven't talked about him in almost an entire three seasons, I think speaks volumes to the impact that Carnage had, which is honestly surprising given this episode. It makes me really curious as to how much he's utilized moving forward because I've been surprised at the concentration or lack thereof of characters I thought had either a lot of content or not very much. So I, I really don't know how much of it is simply... The impact versus what there actually is content-wise, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I this this definitely made an impression on me. I remember a lot from these yeah. episodes. I also forgot a lot from these episodes. Well, there's a lot which of we'll things. get into. <laughs> there's just um, a lot of things in general. Is, yeah. So, <laughs> but I do yeah. think I do think it. I, what you're saying I think makes a lot of sense. Even if you don't consider any other series, I think yeah. the fact that Carnage hasn't come up to this point uh, is is genuinely surprising.
1: Yeah, I think by the end of the show, it's gonna we're going to be s- surprised by how little Carnage and Venom there, there ultimately was in this show compared to like how much they're implanted in our memories
0: from this show. That's the um, impression I get. And I think yeah. that's fine. And, I think and so, too. This is the first of a two-parter, so this is probably a question for next week. You mentioned we haven't really covered a, a, a Carnage origin story to this point on anything we've talked about. And I think there's a question of whether a cartoon even really should. <laughs> uh, so we can answer that question, I think, maybe next week once we've seen, like, the full Carnage origin story they decided to do here. And then I guess we can revisit the question when we get to Ultimate or any other series that that tackles Carnage.
1: <laughs> yeah. Because I'm mixed. Like,
0: I have mixed feelings.
1: Yeah. And I think, like, this This is me having not not fully knowing because I haven't watched these shows like explicitly but like in both 2017 and ultimate spider-man i know at least ultimate spider-man has carnage in it but like i don't feel like cletus cassidy is a character in those but i could be wrong but i don't think that he is so i think that all, i would be every,
0: very surprised yeah if you were.
1: i think that i think this might be the only show other than unlimited which again does weird stuff with carnage and it's barely cletus cassidy like this might be the only show that is really like Cletus Cassidy. Every other show I think just sort of shies away from it, especially once the ultimate comics like introduced an out because the carnage in, in the ultimate Spider-Man comics is not Cletus Cassidy and is a very different uh, type of use of the character. So like, i yeah I think it's interesting to see sort of what I think might end up being the only <laughs> the only cletus Cassidy in animation or only traditional cletus Cassidy in
0: animation I'm not surprised, yeah, I'm not surprised yeah. I think we would have gotten it uh if spectacular had continued but it didn't so we'll oh never yeah know. yeah 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 exactly <laughs> exactly
1: cool I, I do have some background on this on this episode, obviously, this is one of those uh this two parter in general is one of those that kind of comes up In um, conversations and interviews A lot mm. so I've got a handful of them I think all of the all of the stuff I'm pulling Is from Marvel Animation Age from Interviews that were done with multiple writers years and Years ago so um, this is I think It was still relatively within within 10 years of the show airing so It's still relatively fresh in their minds but There's a, a lot of writers between this, These two episodes so writers That I'm mentioning that aren't credited this episode It's because they're credited next week for example uh, Jim Krieg who did not work Work on this episode, but does work on next week's episode. Still has stuff to say about Cletus Cassidy that I think. Just get it all out of the way right now. He said, uh, I think Stan Berkowitz and I just wrote it as though Cletus Cassidy was a serial killer and just never mentioned what he was wanted for, which we see in this episode because this episode opens with Cletus Cassidy. He says the cops certainly acted like he was a serial killer. They just didn't specifically say, boy, that Cassidy is one bad serial killer. Come to think of it, I don't think we could use the word kill. He would have had to be a serial harmer or maybe a serial obliterator.
0: Uh, Um, Yeah, Jim, it's not just that you treated him like a serial killer, but didn't say serial killer. Y'all also wrote in the fact that he's a cannibal and never said cannibal. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) that's there too.
1: Yeah yeah it's it's, yeah, it is fun. So I mean, like that's the elephant in the room, I think that we'll be talking about throughout this week and next week is that like comics Cletus Cassidy, his whole deal is that he's a crazy serial killer. You can't have a serial killer on television, so how do you write a serial killer? We sort of had similar conversations with the Punisher, but like there's a difference between a guy who just like, is a vigilante that murk that kills people with guns and someone who is a villain who was this whole purpose for being a villain is like
0: killing and murdering eating people. everyone
1: killing and eating people. Yeah. So like there is a difference there. Yeah. We'll continue to call out, uh, how that happens throughout <laughs> this. It's just funny to get the writer's perspective. Cause they're just sort yeah. of like, yeah, we know what, what are we supposed to do about that? <laughs> Mm -hmm. other than kind of vaguely right around it.
0: (laughs) What do they do about it? I don't know, but they do it very deftly. And I didn't remember any of those specific things, obviously, because I haven't watched these particular episodes since I was a kid. But I was impressed and very shocked at how much they managed to pull off. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's all, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of um, reading between the lines going on. Uh, I have another quote from Stan Berkowitz who, who worked on these episodes. He <laughs> – this is funny because this sort of harkens a little bit back to what, what you said earlier. He said that they wish they could have done more with Carnage and or been more explicit with his backgrounds. That never was going to happen. Stan. That never was going to happen. What are you thinking? Sir. But he also said <laughs> – I find this interesting and I have never disagreed with the statement more. He said Venom was starting to show his age, but Carnage still had a lot of potential. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> I I, I, so. I don't
0: I don't strongly agree or disagree with that. Like I think I I totally get what he's saying. I just don't know that carnage was the answer to venom showing his age in any media.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think venom I think the thing is venom had had an arc in the uh, an arc in the comics by that point. They sort of play an expedited version of that arc in these two episodes. Mm -hmm. So he actually does. I mean, you know, if you're going from like character development point A to point B by the end of next week's episode, like I, it makes sense. And it it makes sense if you want to just be like, that's the end of his story, but carnage has not had any kind of arc at all. So there's still more to tell. Mm -hmm. I think the thing is like knowing the meta of it and knowing from the comics that carnage never really has an arc. Like that's kind of the point of him. I feel like I, 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 that's why I'm sort of like, does he have more potential? Or would he just come back and do the same type of thing?
0: Like, <laughs> <you> Yeah. <know? laughs> I, I, I haven't read, I mean, I have read the Carnage origin stuff in the comics, but I, I don't remember it very well. And I don't think that the potential that there is in Cletus, Cassidy, and Carnage is necessarily maximized in his origin. I think they like kind sure. of jump right to it. And, and shot themselves in the foot in doing so. Yeah. Because I think there's a yeah. lot of potential with Cletus Cassidy, even though he's a disgusting character. Right. I do think there is a lot of potential there. But none of that can be used here, Stan. So, like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. On a kind of a, a lighter note, there's a couple of things from, that John Semper had said in an interview that I think is just kind of fun. The first part of it, it's, it's not a surprise he was just I think in the interview was sort of talking uh, talking about general censorship type stuff and he says mm. surprisingly that uh, since Carnage came much later in the series he had more control by then than he did like in the first two seasons I think you know just because it, it was so popular by that point so he was like it was, he says Carnage was difficult um, but it had more to do with toning him down to make sure broadcast standards let things get past which obviously mm-hmm. but he says I don't remember Carnage being a real ordeal though not at all like Venom was by that time I could think an idea through and get it on the screen without too much hassle or outside interference, which is cool. Um, I, I don't think you could have been able to do Carnage any earlier than at this point it sounds like. but This is this is just funny because this is just John Semper fanboying out about something I have zero knowledge or have ever heard of at all. Yeah. Uh, he says the coolest thing about the Carnage episodes was that Carnage's voice was done by a Scottish actor named Scott Cleverden who we'll talk about shortly. He says I was chatting with him one day between sessions and he told me that his wife was also an actor Actress, and I asked him what she had done, and he mentioned a series called Sharp's Rifles. I was a big fan of Sharp's Rifles, and I instantly knew that his wife had to be an actress named Asumpta Sima. He was stunned that I knew who she was. I was a huge fan of hers. So he did me a favor of bring her, bringing her to a later recording session, and I got to meet her. Fantastic. Not, it has nothing to do with anything. It's just, like, such a random-ass, like, <laughs> non-sequitur story for this Carnage episode. Yeah. That's about, some, like... What is Sharp's rifles?
0: <laughs> I, I I don't know. I it, it's I I will say when I look up actors, I tend to go down rabbit holes. And so I knew, you know, Scott Cleverton's wife's name and a little bit about the two of them and whatnot. Didn't opt to include any of it in my notes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm glad that John Semper was geeking out.
1: Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> I find that really cute. It's um, very endearing. Yeah, very endearing. Very endearing. But yeah, but that's all I really got on the background. It's it's actually funny that there seemed to be like no, uh, you know, no tumultuous production history with the episodes introducing Carnage, the one who you would think would be incredibly hard to like figure out how to do. But it seems like I was just smooth sailing with them at this point, which good for well, them, I guess. <laughs>
0: that, the episodes that introduced Carnage, which should have been a challenge and crossed over with another series, which yeah. should have been a challenge. Yeah, you know, well, based on I got, history, not because it inherently needs to be a challenge.
1: Yeah, I got I got things to say about the crossover aspect of it too. <laughs> These episodes are weird. <laughs> <laughs> they're fun, but they're weird. Yeah, let's let's just get to talking about yeah. it because we're going to have plenty of things to say over over the next two weeks, too. For um, sure. So this series, as always, available on Disney Plus for purchase on digital platforms. These next two episodes, uh, we haven't mentioned this in a long time. It's available on Spider-Man, the Venom Saga, uh, the DVD set that also has the alien costume three parter from way back in the third in the first season. So cool. I, that's the one Spider-Man set from this show that I own. Nice. Uh, so I actually know these episodes pretty well, just because just because of that. The episode we're talking about this week is Spider-Man: The Animated Series, Season Three, Episode Ten, entitled "The Sins of the Fathers, Chapter X:
0: Venom <laughs> <laughs> Returns." The perfect Roman numeral for this episode.
1: <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> the synopsis per IMDb is. Baron Mordo is back. That's not what you expected from the synopsis for the episode entitled Venom Returns. Nor did I remember it at all. No, no. And surely Venom will come up in the next sentence of the synopsis for the episode entitled Venom Returns, right? He must. The next sentence is, he is planning to steal Tony Stark's technology on dimensions so he can bring the being known as Dormammu to Earth. So that's three Marvel Comics... Characters before they mention Venom, but he will also need the help of Spider-Man's greatest enemy, Venom. Uh, oh, and what 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 other major characters introduced in this episode that's not mentioned in the synopsis? Hmm. Uh,
0: Kafka. I can't believe they didn't mention Kafka. <laughs>
1: I, and the thing is, that that's I'm not even ragging on, like, this is a not a, a case of ragging on IMDb. Like, that's a perfectly fine synopsis. There's just that there's much just, shit happening in this episode. Exactly.
0: <laughs> it's just, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, and it's I, I do think it's balanced as well as it can be, given some of the other episodes they've done with lots of stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. given
0: that, like, we'll get into it, I guess, but, yeah. like, I'm surprised at... If I had read this synopsis before watching the episode and knew all of that was going to be in there, I would have been preparing for a disaster, and it's yeah. not one, so no,
1: this is not this is by by a long shot, not Nowhere the close. worst paced, not the worst paced episode no. by a long shot. it's I mean probably one of the better ones if thinking proportionally like relative mm-hmm. to how much they have to do absolutely um, Yeah, yeah. So the original air date normally is really simple to say, but it actually is a little bit complicated this time, although I do think I have an answer for it. It's actually kind of unclear. Um, There's like, not to have to go down a whole rabbit hole with this, but I like did my due diligence with researching this. So I'm going to go through the process. There's like conflicting reports on when this episode actually aired. IMDB and Wikipedia, which I think Wikipedia is just citing IMDB. So who knows where IMDB's information came from.
0: (laughs) Um, Cyclical citation. Stations, baby.
1: Right, right. It, it cites the air date as October 26, 1996, which would have been two weeks after Tombstone aired. However, if you go to, like, the Spider-Man animated wiki, and uh, which, you know, obviously is sort of like, oh, I'm going to trust IMDB and Wikipedia over the Spider-Man fandom animated wiki, right? The thing is, that lists a different air date, but as do a lot of other fan pages that are, I think, pretty reputable, like Marvel Animation Age, which has been around for years and years and years and years, like I think since around the time that the shows were actually literally airing on TV. And I did double, did sort of cross-check with like old archived forum posts that I found on other websites, I think like Superhero Hype and stuff like that, from closer to like 2003 that are talking about the episodes. And everything that's like From closer to when the episodes actually aired, like anything closer to 1996, all cite this episode is actually airing um, at a different date and their date that they say is November 2nd. And the reason it's so long after Tombstone is because there's a lot of places that say that the spot, which is the episode from two weeks later, was actually aired out of order, aired the week after Tombstone, and then Venom Returns aired two episodes after that. And that kind of checks out because a lot of places Mm -hmm. do note that the spot was aired out of order. And what's fucking weird is that IMDb even lists chapter 12, the spot, before Venom returns, but still has the air dates as if they were aired chronologically. So, like... Clearly, someone knew that the spot was aired out of order, but, like, the dates aren't out of order, so that doesn't make any sense. So, all of that is to say that I'm pretty sure this episode actually aired November 2nd, 1996.
0: That specific type of, like, mystery and detective work like, is pretty much over. Like, it, like we're not going to... I feel like we're not going to have that anymore. Like, everything is yeah. so documented now on the internet mm-hmm. in so many different ways and in so many different places that even if you do run into, like, weird production stuff, which you will still run into. I, I was just running into it with something. I just looked it up and found the answer in, like, eight different places, reputably, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But the fact that it's technically you can't even say with, like, 100% certainty when this episode aired, Yeah. like... That just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And like, there's definitely somewhere, somewhere out there, there's some actual like documents or something like that, or even oh, like a scan of a TV guide or like even like a VHS tape or something that would prove the date. But like in terms of it being easy to access or something or archived right. in a place where you could just look it up, like that's the problem. And yeah, all of the, everything is digital now. Like there's, you would never have that problem. Everything is like very easily categorized and sorted out wherever it needs to be now.
0: Yeah. So Yeah. But- even yeah. informally, like, you can literally just be like, wait, when was the premiere of Game of Thrones? Let me just check Twitter. <laughs>
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: Exactly. You know, <laughs> reputable? I mean, technically no, but if yeah. 18,000 people were all tweeting excited for the premiere of Game of Thrones tonight, yeah, it's probably correct. <laughs> yeah.
1: What's funny though is that this does mean that some of like the uh the on the stage tweets on Twitter are wrong because I just went by IMDb when I was pulling all that information. I wasn't digging any deeper than that but I'm going to have to go back and change him for next year, I guess. So I'm so, sorry. Nobody everyone told you, I, I actually, I kind of am too, but you know. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, writing credits on this episode story by John Semper. We know who he is. Teleplay by Stan Berkowitz, Len wine and John Semper. We've talked about Stan Berkowitz and Len wine uh, a bit kind of a long time ago back when they wrote the original alien costume episodes, or at least one of those episodes. I forget which, but they have also uh, Berkowitz at least has written other episodes of this show. Uh, but since it's been a while since we talked about both of them, just as a refresher, Berkowitz is like a major force across lots of DCAU shows like uh, you know Batman and Justice League and whatnot. He also wrote one episode of Power Rangers SPD, he wrote on the Superhero Squad show, and most recently he has written on Avengers Assemble and Justice League Action. Wine's credits, I think we, ta- we talked about him pretty extensively mm-hmm. on the Alien Costume episode because his credits are bananas. He's a dude who co-created Wolverine, Swamp Thing, Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, Human Target, wrote a- on a bunch of Justice League and X-Men comics during like their popular runs. Um, he died in 2017 and his last TV credits were on Transformers, Robots in Disguise. But it's one of those dudes who's just like touched just so many aspects of superhero pop culture and pop culture in general, probably from television credits too. So
0: is um, human yeah. target a character I should know based on them being alongside Wolverine Nightcrawler, and storm. Um,
1: I mean, he's had his own live action TV show that ran oh, for a wow. couple of seasons. Yeah, I have no so
0: idea who that is. Yeah.
1: He's a DC. I think he's a DC character. Yeah. Um, he's, he, he's, he's, I it's a like, terrible I guess, name for
0: a superhero.
1: Well, because <laughs> he's not like a superhero is the thing. Oh, I don't okay. Even, I th- is he in... Actually, now I'm kind of unsure if he's in the DC universe or if he's like a Vertigo type thing. Hmm. I don't remember now, but I just know he's part of... He's owned by DC, I think. I mean, but, I like, hope his, there's
0: some satire involved because it, it would be hilarious to name like a heroic protagonist the human target. No, it absolutely makes <laughs> sense though. His whole
1: deal is that he's a good um he's good at like impersonating people, so he'll like basically take the place of people who are like targeted for assassination oh. or something like that and then like Ooh. basically be, be in their place so he can like stop whoever is after
0: them. Okay, so it's not just like a a name that, you know. It's more of like as a result of the, it's like very relevant to what he does. Yeah,
1: it's really specific. He's more of like a spy type character. Cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I never watched any of the show. I remember it came out and I wanted to because it sounded interesting and it had Jackie Earl Haley in it. But then I forgot and then it was canceled after a couple (laughs) of years. So, eh, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I learned something today. Mm hmm. Well, characters, obviously, some of them you could predict. Uh, Cletus Cassidy, Carnage, uh, is in this. We already mentioned who he's voiced by. It's Scott Cleverdon. Not an abundant list of credits, but a couple points of interest. That's why it's so interesting to me that John Semper was like, such a huge fan. Well, I guess he was a huge fan of his wife, technically, not necessarily Scott Clifford. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what's funny about it. <laughs> um, but a couple notable things, uh, or at least relevant to us, uh, he did voice a character in Gargoyles named, and I don't know if this is a spoiler or something because I haven't watched it. <laughs> it's it's um, a, it's like minor but
1: spoiler, but it's it's fine. He he, it's not a big deal. he
0: voices a character named John Canmore slash John Carter slash John Castaway which doesn't mean anything to me, but this does, Uh, he hates gargoyles, so he's a bad guy. (laughs) Yeah. That much I can derive.
1: <laughs> he has his uh, authentic accent for that character.
0: Oh, cool! I was wondering because some of the characters or some of the stuff I'd seen he did, he obviously wouldn't have had a Scottish accent. But that that yeah. is an environment where he very easily could have. So yeah, he's a good.
1: Cool. I I never made the connected the dots that it was the same voice actor. He's a he's part of our he's part of like the three parter that ended the original run of the show. Actually, mm, that's okay, really good.
0: Yeah, he uh, he also provided the voice of Obi Wan Kenobi. In a couple of Star Wars Episode One video games around the like PS One and sixty four era, hmm. <laughs> yeah, but but didn't like go on to be the animated voice of Obi Wan or anything. So I'm very curious. <laughs> I want to like look up what his performance was <laughs> of yeah. Obi Wan to see if yeah, it's like be- wildly different or anything. Because the guy who does it for Clone Wars uh, and like video games now is like, you know, could could just be you and McGregor, <laughs> right?
1: Right? Yeah.
0: So, uh, what, I, I, what do you, what do you think of his carnage? <laughs> Cause I, I, like, I, I'm like unsure.
1: Well, I think, but I also he, have
0: mentioned many times I'm like very biased against carnage. So I have a hard time sometimes parsing out objectively how things are done with carnage.
1: <laughs> so it's weird because he, obviously he's like the first voiced carnage, you know? Mm. So it's sort of like, so I think that there's, there, there's still a, a weird, bias in that direction too like that's the voice that I hear when I read Carnage and the thing is like other I know that other voices have other carnages in like video games and stuff and stuff have sort of modeled themselves I think after this performance like mm. it when the PS1 Carnage is just an imitation of this one I feel like you oh know?
0: interesting makes sense but I, I hadn't thought of that it's basically yeah. like when we were covering you know the 60s show
1: right so it's like So I think that that might be part of it. So it's hard to think of like what another voice like any other like any other carnage performance is just going to be like, oh, that's a different take on carnage like Woody Harrelson carnage. Is just always never to me going to feel like an authentic, like not authentic is ever going to feel like a classic carnage. It's always going to feel like a take on carnage, but that's not really fair because the only reason that I feel like there is a classic carnage that's like the default is just because of the performance in this show, which didn't have to be carnage's voice. Mm-hmm. This was a really intentional sort of choice that this voice actor had, because if, if nothing else, this version of carnage or at least this version of Cletus Cassidy does have a very distinct performance. That I think mm-hmm. does, Stand out from among anyone else.
0: It does, so. but I, I, it didn't leave much of an impression on me as a kid because, like, when I then went on to read the comics, like many years later, I definitely didn't read his voice in this. It would have just been whatever my brain came up with. Like, I didn't remember specifically this voice, you know. So revisiting it was like kind of fresh.
1: Yeah, I don't. know. I think I. I, yeah, I have a really hard time thinking of it objectively. Like, I think it's fine. I think it's sort of like, yeah, this is just what Carnage sounds like, mm-hmm. and I think it does fit the character really well. In that, if you're trying, like, if if you're trying to do the most stereotypical "quote unquote" crazed serial killer, I feel like
0: this is, is this the what type you would go to. <laughs> I think so. I think I.
1: Th- I mean, I may, I that's maybe, what I struggle with. <laughs> maybe this is what I'm. What I like because I think he's sort of going for. Like, oh, God, I hate that I'm saying this. He's sort of going more in, like, the Joker direction. I was going to like say it's a little clownish. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I always sort of pictured with him, though. Like, because cause that's the thing about... Cletus Cassidy and even carnage is that like, he's always smiling and reveling in everything he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's not like creepy, dark serial killer. He is creepy and dark specifically because of how like joyous he is about all the, the terrible things that he's doing. So I think his sort of like weird laughy voice. And I think that in the comics he was written with like a lot of like man and dude type st- affects. Mm-hmm. I think that, that this performance just kind of naturally comes from, that like how that's written on the page, you know, and how that character's suggested, so like I get it, and I don't like i don't I don't have any sort of a different I don't know i i I think it makes sense, and I think that it's ultimately like good for what it is, but I'm sure you can do. I don't know. I was gonna say I'm sure you could do something like a more complex performance, but I don't know if you could because Carnage no, you is could. sort of like written to not be a complex character. I'll, I'll
0: fight you on that. You could. I, I totally get what they're doing. I get where it's coming from, and I I, I can't say it's like wrong. But if I would I would absolutely <laughs> take it in a different direction. Not like wildly different or anything, but I would I would I would tweak some knobs. I would turn some things down and turn some other things up. <laughs>
1: He could be scarier, but then I don't know if he would have been allowed on kids TV if they sort of balanced him. Sure, like sure. I think he could be more in the Mark Hamill Joker direction because I do think that Joker like balances joyous silliness and and like legitimate like scariness really well, like when 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 his version of the character is at his best. Like I think you could maybe tweak him in that direction and that might be and that would probably just be like objectively better, but just given the the constraints that this show was under compared to Batman, I don't know if they would have been allowed to do that. I think that would have just been slightly over the line.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have taken it further in the direction of Joker. I would. I, those are the things. Those are some of the things I would. I would tone down personally. Okay, gotcha. Um, but I, I was just curious because it is. I mean, it is like you said. It's such a distinct, very intentional performance of a character that is meant to be sort of a. An alternative, not not an opposite, not necessarily a stark juxtaposition, but just like an alternate, alternative, whatever of a symbiote character. So, mm-hmm. um, every everything he's doing makes sense. But I was just curious as to if you had any thoughts. Yeah, we also I I, I did reference her. <laughs> We are introduced to uh, Dr. Kafka here, who's voiced by Barbara Goodson, who you and I know very well. And actually, most people our age should know very well. She's the voice of Rita Repulsa in the Power Rangers franchise across a number of seasons, as well as a number of other characters, notably Prince Rocket, um, and some generals and monsters along the way. I think perhaps all the way into like. I think she carries into the Disney era with some monsters, but I don't take my word on that. I just know that she's in many series mm-hmm. of Power Rangers. She's also Chiyo across the Naruto franchise um, in series and a number of video games. She voiced Mother Talzin in Star Wars The Clone Wars, um, part of the Night Sisters. Um, she was Nauta in Foolie Coolie, uh, and so much more, uh, especially in the realm of anime dubs. If you name one, she's probably voiced someone in at least an episode of it. I played that game with myself. And there were very few strikes. <laughs> she gotcha. is, She's all over the place. <laughs> I don't know yeah. that she's necessarily like huge characters in all of them, but she is in some. Um, and then just happens to be one of those people who like voiced a character in everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> uh, we also get a couple Iron Man characters here for reasons I don't fully understand. Um, but I'm happy about this first one, who's Jim yeah. Rohde, uh, aka War Machine, who's voiced by James Avery. Love that because... James Avery, Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And as we've mentioned, I don't remember when we would have mentioned this, probably a commentary, so I don't know if everybody would have heard that. He does voice War Machine, uh, as well as a couple other characters in the 90s Iron Man series, but not for the whole series. He only voices War Machine for five episodes and the other characters for about 10 episodes. And then he's replaced by Dorian Harewood, who is the voice of Tombstone in this series. So it's interesting they got him. It could have... It really could have gone either way, right? They could have yeah. just used Dorian Harewood because he's already there, but they also could have not wanted to do that because he's already a character that was just in. Like, I, yeah. I would be curious to know, like, how that ended up happening. But um, yeah. I'm glad yeah. that we got the James Avery version, personally. Too. <laughs> well, it's
1: It's sort of interesting because, like, both the way that Tony and, and Rhodey are portrayed are, like from the first season of iron man. Cause like the way that Tony looks, he doesn't mm-hmm. have his like season two mullet and, <laughs> and they have, don't have the voice of roadie from the second season. And that's what was airing at the time that this episode came out, but then they revert back to like non-mullet Tony and then season one voiced roadie for mm-hmm. this episode, uh, which I find fascinating and I'm happy about because I think it's, yeah. uh, I think people would be confused if a mullet well, I don't know. There's so many mullets on this show that, like, when I mean, that and I about yeah, the what are you Tony, talking about? <laughs> he would have no fit right mind. in. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> if anything, they would have been confused at which mulleted character he was.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So <laughs> never mind. I take it back.
0: Um, if you didn't know, uh, James Avery also notably voiced Shredder in the '80s animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series. Mm-hmm. Um, and a fun fact: both Barbara Goodson and James Avery were among the English dub cast for the Fist of the North Star series and movie, so they had worked nice. together before, and
1: fun then stuff. end up
0: in an episode together, which is fun. Of course, we get Tony Stark and Iron Man voiced by Robert Hayes here. He is the same guy who voiced Tony and Iron Man in the '90s series. Uh, And he appeared as Tony in the Incredible Hulk series of the era. He is more well-known, I would argue, for live-action stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, He starred in both of the airplane movies. He was the eponymous starman in the 80s television show, alongside Christopher Daniel Barnes, who played his son. Uh, He starred in the NBC sitcom FM, which also featured James Avery. Uh, And he was one of the leads in the 1979 series Angie, where he played the main character's husband. So he's actually been either the lead or a main character on a number of TV shows, just not super long running ones. (laughs) Yeah. And for something slightly more recent, but still about 20 years old, which is blowing my mind. uh, He was Hyde's dad on that 70s show. The fact that that show is 20 years old is really hurting me, (laughs) considering that he was also on shows in the 70s. (laughs) It's like, holy shit.
1: Yeah, the weird. <laughs> <Very> weird.
0: Anyway. <laughs> no surprise that for this episode there's gonna be a decent amount of production stuff. I think we probably got through most of it for this week. So next week yeah. it'll be much, much lighter.
1: Yeah, um, everything this week applies to next week too exactly. pretty much these these episodes kind of work together. So Yeah. So
0: let's uh, let's get into it. Cool. So this episode opens with a police standoff at the home of Cletus Cassidy featuring Lieutenant Lee. Uh, As Jonah watches the story on TV at the Bugle, Robbie explains that Cassidy is no ordinary criminal. He is a monster and that Cassidy has done things the post wouldn't even print, uh, implying some pretty horrible stuff. Of course, Jameson makes a comment that they'll post it, (laughs) which I thought was fun. Another detail that adds to this stuff that we were referencing in the production notes about kind of approaching the line but never crossing it at Cassidy's home outside a police officer tries to warn Lieutenant Lee of the danger that is Cassidy by asking Lieutenant Lee do you love your job detective because Cassidy sure loves his and if you know you know that Cassidy's made his profession killing and eating people (laughs) so your first sort of clues that this is a bad dude. He's just a serial harmer, Doug. It's fine. Just a serial harmer, or serial obliterator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, with this show, it will be serial destroyer. Actually, uh, yep. Serial destroyer sounds like a dope band name. It kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> For breakfast
1: time, I'm a serial destroyer. Oh, but I'm different type of serial. <laughs> anyway, when the police finally raid Cassidy's home. It, which includes, like, blowing up his door.
0: Which and, is, like, reinf- well, I guess we get into it eventually. No, that's but the like- thing.
1: I think they think that, because Lieutenant Lee is surprised when she they blow up the door, go in, and then, like, a steel yeah. door drops behind it. Which, how the fuck did Cassidy set that up? If they didn't know the steel was there, they just thought it was a door. So instead of using, like, a battering ram to, like, push it down, they put, like, C4 up there and mm-hmm. blow it up. Just you know what? That's only one of many instances of the police like ha- having just bananas uh, equipment in these two episodes. Well, yes, so. I mean that's very true <laughs> and
0: very prescient for sure. Uh, I, it's probably just meant to like add to the severity of the situation, but yeah, it and also it you know, looks cool.
1: They get an explosion. I get that.
0: <laughs> Still good lens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: But yeah, like I said, uh, Lieutenant Lee is now trapped in the room with Cassidy because of the steel door that I guess he figured out how to reinforce and drop down as a trap somehow. He knocks the gun from her hand. He throws her to the ground. But luckily, before he can attack her further, Spider-Man busts in the room with the police. So uh, at this, Cassidy reveals he's wearing enough explosives to cause a blast 600 feet in every direction. Which is like a lot. That's a lot. That's a big bomb.
0: Yeah. It's a big-ass bomb. They communicated it in meters, and I was like, I don't have a concept of that. And <laughs> 600 feet is a lot, and that's like yeah. in every direction. That's a 1,200-foot blast. That's yeah, really geez. big, right? <laughs> like, I think so. I don't know how big a block is, but I think it's more than that. <laughs> yeah. It's bad regardless.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> so of course, Spider-Man doesn't let everyone blow up. He rips the explosives off the of Cassidy, swings blocks away realizing that it's like not that, like we said, it's got a really big radius figures that the only way to avoid any serious damage is to just throw it as high in the air as possible. And he does, and it blows up and it doesn't seem like there's
0: damage to anyone, uh, anyone nearby. So like sends a shockwave big enough to knock Lee and Cassidy over. It does, which is notable because Spider-Man swung like many blocks away.
1: I think that's a good detail for how, for how big it is. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. and, And as far, I mean, as far, yeah, as far in the sky as he was able to, to throw it, like it still, still made an impact. So yeah, yeah but back at Cassidy's home, Lieutenant Lee cuffs Cassidy while well, he wishes Spider-Man a big ol' R.I.P. Uh, but of course, Spidey's not dead, just what? very battered up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like that Spidey has like sort of these, uh these like scribble dirt marks and tears all over his costume. Like uh, it's like soot and damage and stuff. Yes. But like he has them for a while after that. Like it's, it's for like the next scene or two that he actually has all of that, all of that drawn onto his suit, which is a, a good attention to detail. I think he, that the show doesn't normally have.
0: He does, but I, and I also, and I love it, but I also have a question that I would love to ask somebody from production because his suit is torn up but at least I don't know if they do it in this scene where he initially like gets up but later in the episode when it's still torn up you don't see his flesh ever underneath what are obvious like tears and holes in his suit they just color yeah. it all in the color of his suit which mm-hmm. I don't it, it's not a mistake I I imagine if I had to guess it was probably considered like too much damage to depict that way but I would love to know the actual answer right like oh, yeah, was maybe. it too hard to animate him with that many details and colors given that whatever their guess. budget was, or was it like too much to show actual like skin underneath his suit? Um, just one of those like little detail questions I would love to know.
1: I, I'm going to assume just because we have seen skin under his suit tears before that it probably wasn't an SMP thing. It probably it's was a lot, just. Though. I think it was just easier. I think it was just easier to just color it all in red. Yeah. And <laughs> easier it makes and quicker. sense.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Because these aren't necessarily. They're not, like, great-looking episodes. They're not, like, bad. They're certainly not close to the worst we've seen, but they're, like, just fine. Yeah. So, I buy it. Well, meanwhile, at Central Park, a man and woman watch as a meteorite crash lands nearby. And I'm going to be honest, I did not remember how Venom returned. So this was, like, a fun little, like, oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. -hmm. (laughs) Uh, They investigate, and the symbiote jumps out and seemingly attaches itself to both of them. Um, It happens fast enough that, like, if you're not necessarily thinking too hard about it you wouldn't think about the fact that it's attached itself to two people yeah um but if you are paying attention you kind of notice that like it attaches in one color to one person and another color to another person yeah <laughs> which is like That's a fun uh, it's a fun little yeah it's a fun little detail that they don't focus on so you could you could theoretically miss it if you're just sort of like watching it while you're making breakfast you know mm mm-hmm. mhm Well, shortly after that happens, Spider-Man returns to Cassidy's and is sort of like watching on as Cassidy's taken into custody. And as we've come to expect, uh, at least once per episode now, Madam Web pulls him into her dimension to dish out some advice. And what she tells him is that the evil you will soon confront will be unstoppable unless you learn to overcome fear and rely on unlikely allies. And she says, remember, a warrior keeps his friends close and his enemies closer. And of course, like, Spider-Man is very confused about this. And we've sort of made a joke of like Peter's reactions to Madam Web because he's like a total dingus about it where he's like, I don't know what anything she says means. And I, my initial reaction to this was like, bro, that's like a really common phrase. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, this might be the first time I heard it though. Like as a kid, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know when I first heard that, but oh yeah, you know, I was like, what, seven years old when I watched this. So I thought that that came
1: from this show for the longest time. (laughs) Well, that that just speaks to the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also like when when she does first show up and he's like, oh, it's Madam Web. And she's like, you've always been good at deducing things that are pathetically obvious. Yeah, because he, he
0: goes, you didn't surprise me this time. I knew it was you. <laughs> it's like, it's like who oh, you knew it from being like... teleported to another
1: dimension with red <laughs> exactly. mist. Like, that's like, oh, that. Wow. <laughs>
0: Great big clues. Mm-hmm. Dynamic deduction there, buddy. Well, like I sort of referenced, Spider-Man's puzzled by all of this because he always is. So he's swinging home and he's wondering why Madam Web called him a warrior and what, it, what anything that she's saying means. And they do this cool sort of like writery artsy thing where as he wonders why Madam Web calls him a warrior, we cut to Eddie Brock at Ravencroft talking to Dr. Kafka about how all he wanted to do and all he wants to do is be a warrior for the innocent. So you mentioned that, like, the sort of behind the scenes, like, catching up or dealing with the fact that his, com- like, Venom's comic stories and Eddie's comic stories have sort of advanced beyond Venom is just scary bad guy, right? Yeah. This is our first taste of that here in this show. The sort of, like, Eddie Brock Venom is a warrior for innocence, women and children, yeah. and, and defenseless people, you know?
1: Because that's definitely not present in the first season when he's there at all. No. That's, and, and, and in all fairness... Even though that you know he that the lethal protector stuff had happened in the comics by the time the show was on, like in Venom's first appearance in the comics for a while. That wasn't part of his character. Like that was something that was introduced yeah. gradually as time went on. Like it was there's there's elements that they pulled from, like him trying so hard to be a victim, you know, and telling himself that like Spider Man's the real bad guy. Like I see, like it's a logical escalation of continuing from where totally. is that it's like, well, if he sees himself like that, he's also going to see himself as a savior potentially, you know. So like it makes sense, but it is kind of funny that it does mirror the comics where it's like I wouldn't call it a total retcon, but it definitely is like a. Piece Piece of characterization that's just sort of not there until they need it to be highlighted so we can have this sort of redemption arc
0: it jumps a little bit right like it would have felt probably like a bit more of a development along the way especially in the comics when you look at like how wildly popular venom just became it would make sense to sort of have a face turn for a character like that mm-hmm. here we've seen him one time so like if you don't know all that like I could see somebody being like, wait, what? He's a good guy now, (laughs) but at least they present it in this context, right? Where he's like talking to a therapist and talking about and he's separate from the symbiote. So like whatever his perception is, doesn't have to necessarily jive with whatever his perception is or was when he was with the symbiote, you know, like we do understand that it affected him in in weird ways. So um, even though it's a jump, we've had a whole season between where you could just be like, I guess this is just where he's at now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it does make sense because, you know, as he's describing it to the therapist it all is framed because Eddie does have like kind of a victim complex. Mm -hmm. Like it is, I think you could, if, if he was telling you the story and you knew no other context, I think you could, you could buy into it being like, wow, you were kind of fucked over by the Spider-Man guy. Weren't you like, huh? You were just doing your own thing and he just ruined your life, I guess. Well,
0: Um, and we see Dr. Kafka like buying into his story, right? Where she says like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. You feel this way. You were persecuted by Spider-Man. But, My
1: only issue with the Kafka stuff um, is like – Oh, I have like, a big well, issue no, with the Kafka stuff. Th- no, I shouldn't say my only issue. There's many issues. Is just Dr. Kafka, does she always just suck? Is she always just really bad at a job? You know, I, every version of her seems like that.
0: But, I don't know. Can somebody – like I have not really encountered Dr. Kafka in a way that left any impression on me in any comics. So if somebody who is smarter than me could let me know like is this – Is she incompetent in every, like, is this a comics thing where she's, like, wildly irresponsible? It's gotta be, right? Yeah. Every every on-screen depiction you and I have ever talked about, Dr. Kafka is terrible at their job. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. In this case, like, other things that we'll talk about later, but I also, like, her whole thing is that Eddie made up the Venom thing, that it was a delusion, even though... Venom was like very present and people knew what that character was. He was on TV. Like Eddie went, the whole reason Eddie is in this, in Ravencroft right now is because he was like taken by the police at a space station where Venom was like last spotted. Like, I don't know what the cops or whoever like got him into Ravencroft, like think of, of all of this, like, but you can't deny that Venom exists. (laughs) it's <laughs> like there's proof of that people should right. know that you which can't, leads me and I
0: think you might be about to say exactly what I was yeah. going to say retconning a little bit
1: no oh that probably is more correct i think that's i was going to i was going to headcanon a thing you i think you're just giving the actual uh <laughs> i
0: i think it is i think i i would love to hear what you're going to headcanon but i do think it's retconning because she's not the only character right like Other characters who absolutely would know what Venom is, if not Carnage, of course, because I've never seen Carnage, are still, like, more confused than they should be. Like, J. Jonah Jameson, as the person who runs a newspaper and is is the boss to investigative journalists and photographers, 100% would know what Venom is. And he doesn't, like, totally not know, but, like, he should know more than he does in there. So I think they just, I think they wanted Venom to be a bit more of a mystery than they realize that they like i think they kind of made him more exposed than they realized they yeah. wanted him to be later on
1: well and he, like he doesn't need to be a mystery like he's like oh he's like throwing tanks and shit in the middle of the road it's not episode. Subtle. like it doesn't matter like yeah that's not a that doesn't need to be a thing and all of this stuff i think would still work fine if kafka was just like well that was an evil symbiote and you're not part you're not attached to it anymore Eddie so why don't you try to like heal from that and get over you know and 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 work through the issues that you're having like you doesn't need you don't need this like it was a delusion thing like I think you should still he could still be in Ravencroft getting psychiatric help for his experience without everyone thinking that he literally made it all up like mm-hmm. it's that that's odd my headcanon for it um it doesn't make Dr Kafka look good and actually kind of uh makes the whole Marvel universe seem a lot worse is that in this sort of world where there's supervillains and things, a sort of new approach to dealing with them is to basically gaslight them into believing that they never were the supervillains. So mm. I'm thinking so that Dr. Kafka is fully aware that Venom exists and is also fully aware that like Eddie is going to be irreparably damaged from this and that Venom was a monster. And the best way to prevent Venom from ever returning is by convincing Eddie that Venom never existed. And that's the way that they're approaching treating him, which is terrible and wildly irresponsible. But it would explain why Dr. Kafka somehow doesn't know who Venom is and telling Eddie that it's a delusion. And isn't that shocked when Venom is back? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I I like
0: that. I like that better than what what some well, I don't I actually actually doesn't conflict with with certain other potential headcanons. I like that though because it's a lot more interesting and complex, I think, and and explores the world a little bit more if that's the case. I I like that a lot. I think it also could be and I think in 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 your particular headcanon would would jive in a very weird way, but a good way. The we've mentioned that the like romantic element of Eddie Brock and the venom symbiote is present in this series. I think the introduction of Dr. Kafka actually only magnifies that um, or, or rather Ooh, wow. like it makes it more prominent. Um, so I, there's also potential for Dr. Kafka who we learn very quickly here. Eddie has a thing for, and that thing is reciprocated by Dr. Kafka. Um, I think there's an interesting like love triangle type Thing being explored between Eddie Brock, the Venom symbiote, and Dr. Kafka. And so it would be in her interest to have him convinced that it never existed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah. God. Dr. She would Kafka's benefit personally from that. <laughs> she is a mess. She, the, we're just like, we're, we are just fully condemning her like even worse, yeah, absolutely. It, it, with this head cannon, well, it gets in,
0: worse and worse. In, in well, oh god, yeah. In other depictions, she's been incompetent. In this one, she is like explicitly bad. Like she's not a she's she is consciously <laughs> doing wrong, immoral, unethical things.
1: Yeah, of course, it's all it's all framed heroically. Is like the problem with it. Like, yeah, it's all framed as like being good, and it's like
0: oof, oof. It's at least in the Oof. context of venom who like you're never supposed to fully like even if you really love venom you're you're not supposed to fully endorse everything venom does that's so true if you're, if you're it's at least give, in that context right there's at least that
1: if you're gonna give venom a girlfriend, it does make sense to make her like pretty morally ambiguous to match
0: <laughs> it so. yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> hello amazing friends we just wanted to take a quick moment to thank our spectacular and patrons beau eric steve carl katie mike lillian and douglas if you
1: would like to support our show too our way of saying thanks is by giving you lots of cool spidey goodies You'll have early access to all our episodes, including our AMAs, where we answer your burning questions about anything and everything. And we mean
0: everything. If you join us at our $5 Spectacular level, you get to hear us let loose and talk about wackier stuff in our After Dark commentaries. Or our movie commentaries, where we watch every single Spidey-related theatrical film, from the Raimi films, to Amazing Spider-Man, to Spider-Verse, Venom, Avengers Endgame, and more.
1: And at our amazing tier, we'll invite you to be a guest on our show.
0: That's right, you. You all make our show better, whether it's by sending us Word Snappers words, making us fan art, joining our Discord community, or just listening to us every week. This is our way of saying thank you for supporting this show and inspiring us to dip into media even we didn't realize was on our radar.
1: Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate you. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you.
0: Well, we're introduced to this dynamic a little bit here um he does he gives us a little bit of background like you're talking about about the journalist uh why he wanted to be a journalist um We flash back to how he ended up without a job or an apartment, exploring some of this victim stuff that he's really um really embracing <laughs> embracing sounds wrong, but he like you said, he has a victim mm-hmm. complex specifically around spider man and everything that that he contributed to himself losing. And one of the things that he sort of like explores in this is the idea that he has hope that he will be reunited with the Venom symbiote. So even though it's been shot into space (laughs) and he doesn't know that it's back, he is very confident that he will be reunited with it. Um, And this is significant because he, as Eddie Brock, remembers the memories that he had access to from Spider-Man. So he knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but he says he's going to keep that a secret until he's reunited with his other half. This then sort of like shifts into a little bit of the revealing Eddie's feelings for Kafka because their session ends. He mopes as she walks away and as their session ends, because he wants to talk to her more, be around her more. And this just so happens to be when Cletus Cassidy is brought into the cell right next to his. Cassidy flirts with Kafka. Eddie doesn't like it. (laughs) So you, you see it. It's right there. They introduce it to you. Uh, sort of subtly, but yeah. clearly enough that you're sort of like, oh, okay, this is wrong. <laughs> well, even by that <laughs> point, this is that point, thing that's though, developing.
1: <laughs> by that point, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it if Eddie was infatuated with with Doctor Kafka. Like, I think that that would fit. Yeah. honestly, the problem is Kafka reciprocating it and acting on it. Oh yeah, no, that's the problem. The it's, real problem,
0: the unethical part, the the bad and wrong part, is that uh, a doctor is entertaining or encouraging. <laughs> her patient a patient Uh, that
1: is very like is very clearly going through some serious shit too mm -hmm. it's not like it's it's like the worst version of the situation yeah so not great oh and and i can't skip over the way that cassidy flirts with kafka is aren't you gonna give me some therapy beautiful
0: lady Yep. Also, this is where we get the cannibal references because, and this is why I say this is really clever because as he's flirting with her, he says, are you, are you afraid I'm going to bite? And then when Eddie tells him to stop, Cassidy says, leave me alone. I'll eat you for breakfast. And I think it's really clever because those phrases mean other things. They're like common phrases, right? In, in those contexts, I'll eat you for breakfast. You could say that on a football field, right? Like it's not It's a weird thing to say, but it's not out of context. And, you know, don't be afraid. I don't bite is the thing that people say. But if you know that Cletus Cassidy is a cannibal, you're like, oh, shit, that's how they worked it in. <laughs> they worked it in by using other common phrases that have to do with eating. <laughs> yeah, like, it's right there. It's, it's, it's like common. on display. But if you don't know, it's not disturbing. <laughs> that kid a good, would never know.
1: I, I That did not even cross my mind. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's very so. clever. Clever, clever cannibalism and fuck it. My favorite kind. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Else, elsewhere to start oh, one of God. our yep. many, many, many plot threads. Oh, hey guys, there's gonna be magic and stuff in this episode too. Cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I
0: didn't Under- remember any of this. None of this. No I, recollection I, of. I, I, I remembered mm. what Eddie and Cletus's cells looked like. Like. I don't remember details like that frequently, but I remembered what their cells and that facility looked like and had zero recollection that these next characters were even a part of this story.
1: Yeah, because who cares? It's (laughs) so weird. I I, I really think the only reason that these two characters are in this episode and the next one at all are just for like... The stuff that happens in the second episode.
0: I'm not necessarily um, like mad at it because these are characters from this very season. Sure, yeah, yeah. But I think like, that it's just helps. weird. Like, it's just weird. It's weird that I have no recollection of it. It's weird that they're involved in this story.
1: Well, it's just weird because it's sort of like it's it it is a big deal to have Venom's back, and now there's a new symbiote, and it's Carnage, and everyone knows who Carnage is, and he's very striking, and like the whole deal is they're both really powerful. So let's introduce two more villains who are going to control them and be the real big bads of this. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's just, yeah, it's an odd choice. And I think the only reason that they're here is to so Carnage can't kill people in the next episode, which spoiler. Yeah. Get to. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it's clever. the only it, reason. I, I, so it's
0: like, yeah. I do think it's clever. Like I don't, I don't think it's sure. bad or detracts. I don't even think it necessarily detracts from anything. Just because I think it actually complements what's going on. Well, mm-hmm. it's just as. I never would have predicted that you're going to introduce Dormammu, who we've already mentioned, um, but then also Baron Mordo is back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. It's like the best, it's kind of the best case scenario for if you were having carnage, but can't Don't have them like physically spree. murder people with an ax. Like what are you going to do? Oh, you get characters that you've already established earlier in the season, bring them back to sort of basically have a leash on carnage pretty much is yeah. what it amounts to. Yeah. Um, which, you know, again, it's pretty clever. They do some magic stuff in the next one. Most of that's for the the next episode. I do think if you're just watching this one and haven't seen where it goes the week after, I think I wouldn't be surprised if you're just like, what the fuck are these people doing here? Let me see the symbiote stuff. What's going on? Yeah. Why are you here? It's not really until next week that it like actually kind of comes to blows why they're really there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Dormammu's there. He's still trapped in his other dimension. He instructs Baron Mordo to retrieve Eddie Brock from Ravencroft because the symbiote has returned to Earth as he planned. So it's not just a random meteor.
0: That was the first time watching this episode that I just shouted, what? (laughs) Because they don't explain it right away. You just know that it somehow had something to do with Dormammu.
1: It, it is funny, though, because I feel like anybody could buy, like, oh, yeah, the Symbiote just came back from space. Like, it just fell on a meteor. Like, you don't have to yeah. explain it anymore. You wouldn't need to. So, it is, no. it is funny <laughs> that they go through great lengths to eventually explain how yeah. all of that happened. And it's just like, I just assumed it just fell off the rocket and fell to Earth. Like, That's I don't what know. what I would have guessed. <laughs> But yeah, so Mordo complies. He appears to Eddie, I have merely come to you in my astral form. Like, yeah, that's a normal thing to say to a person that's like freaking out by this like ghostly projection mm-hmm. <laughs> showing up in your life. Who's cell. already
0: being told that he's like got delusions of <laughs> monsters and stuff.
1: Yeah, you're not not helping, but Mordo, nope. come on, man. But yeah, he offers him a reunion with the uh, with the symbiote if he, as long as he swears loyalty to to Dormammu. Uh, which Eddie's obviously like, what? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> who? This is a good well, barometer like, of yeah. the state of mind of Eddie Brock and Cletus Cassidy. Their reaction to to Mordo is a great barometer.
1: That's a good point, Eddie. Eddie, you know, as as unwell as he is, he does have the most normal possible reaction of what's going on, who, and. No, keep me out of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Like that's perfectly all reasonable. Um, Cassidy, who's in the cel- cell next door, he's eavesdropping, and he's like shouting to Mordo, like listening in, like, "Yeah, I'll do anything for the Stormammu guy. Yeah, yeah, just just let me out. I don't care. I'll worship your <laughs> god or whatever.
0: Uh huh.
1: I've 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 already. I've, I'll sell my soul to the devil. Who cares? Yeah, man.
0: Yep, yep. I I, I honestly think like. Cassidy's probably part of the only reason Eddie even agrees. Because he's like, oh, well, yeah, I don't want absolutely. Cassidy to get my, my boyfriend, the symbiote.
1: Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But um, but yeah, so Mordo reports back to Dormammu, and Dormammu says that with one last piece retrieved from Stark Enterprises, they can finally enact their plan. The second so, time
0: I shouted, what? <laughs> yep,
1: yep. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's, now it's a crossover episode.
0: Yep. But then, then I shouted, yes, because the next day or sometime later, Peter and Deborah, who I'd just been asking about. Yeah. I literally just asked the other week, where'd Deborah go? Well, she's right here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, the next day, Peter and Deborah arrive at Stark Enterprises to attend a demonstration of something called an interdimensional probe that will allow transport of matter, solid matter, mind you. Between dimensions, and of course, Peter worries that this could be sort of a Pandora's box situation. Because Deborah's like, "Imagine all the possibilities, all the things we could do that would help humanity." And Peter's like, "Imagine all the things that could come to attack us from other dimensions." Wow, <laughs> which Ever is a good thought.
1: <laughs> it's a good thought. Yeah, given I mean, especially given the universe that they live in, where it's yeah. just like terrible. I, Peter's literally been to another dimension when he yeah. fought Dormammu, so like where Dormammu I, actually, turned
0: into like a dragon and like yeah, would so have eaten him.
1: absolutely fair yeah
0: yeah actually yeah it makes perfect sense that that's the thing you would think about but he doesn't really get to go down that line of thought for very long because he and deborah are interrupted by dr connors who's back also yeah uh who greets them uh briefly introduces them to jim rhodes (laughs) aka roadie aka war machine uh Mm -hmm. who gives them a cold welcome and then dr connors escorts them to the auditorium where arden broom (laughs) Is name. also in attendance now. What's funny is the first time I watched this episode and heard Doctor Connors call Mordo Arden Broom, I was like, "What a fucking weird name!" It wasn't until the second time that I realized it's just an anagram of Baron Mordo. Like, yeah. I didn't know enough about Mordo to know that that was literally like that's how his alter ego works. This is it's just rearranging the letters so, of his name.
1: <laughs> it's such an awkward name, like Which Baron, Baron Mor- first. It's-
0: Baron Mordo had to have right?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, of course. And Baron Mordo's like. Also, just sounds like a cool sorcerer name. Like, that's a cool name. But, like, God, Arden Broom. No, just make up. Don't make it an anagram. Just make it up. Arden Broom is the dorkiest sounding name imaginable. I don't
0: mind Arden, but Broom?
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, come on, man! It's so silly, and I also love that Peter's like, okay, well, that's obviously Baron Mordo in oh, the audience, so, so, good. so I'm gonna keep an eye on him. It's so funny. If that's
0: not Baron Mordo, I don't stick to walls. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny.
1: I love that. It's just like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not doing this. Mm-hmm. I know.
0: <laughs> it's funny too because like Mordo is like in a fully different outfit, which in this show usually means you're a different person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good job, Peter. You're learning.
1: The same Peter who didn't realize that like a man with the last name of Fisk is the son of a man (laughs) with the last name of Fisk. Yeah,
0: true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while the presentation is happening, uh, which involves a bunch of CGI, (laughs) they were very excited about it. Clearly Uh, Mm -hmm. new CGI assets. (laughs) Uh, We cut to Ravencroft where Eddie Brock is visited by the woman from central park Um, and her suspiciously black and red shirt or black and blue shirt rather, reveals itself to be the symbiote. It reunites with Eddie and Venom easily escapes Ravencroft by just smashing through the walls. He proceeds to Dormammu's and Dormammu gives Venom and us some much needed backstory because again, how is Dormammu connected to the return of the symbiote at all? So Dormammu says that he identified the unique relationship that Eddie has with the symbiote, um, which is not new to us, right? That's kind of a core element of Venom is that, eddie is able to actually put up a fight against the symbiote whereas most other people would not be able to and that has to do with his desire for vengeance and his rage and his anger and all that sort of stuff so dormammu gets it he says that he instructed baron Mordo to secretly gain access to the space probe that the symbiote was attached to and redirect it back to earth seems like somebody should have noticed that but okay uh, <laughs> and also that Mordo hypnotized the symbiote's new hosts, the central park couple into reuniting it with Eddie, which actually that's a helpful detail because yeah. the woman just like walking in and being like, Hey, don't you recognize me? It was like yeah. sort of a weird detail without knowing she's hypnotized.
1: Yeah. It, that makes sense. Consi- yeah. It, Cause I would have, otherwise I would have been like, that's not how the symbiote works, but like, <laughs> no, okay, it's magic. Cool. Got it.
0: Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah. She was just a vehicle. She wasn't a host. Mm-hmm. So now we know how Dormammu is connected to all this. Yeah. So Venom, Venom has returned. <laughs> we're
1: we're here. Uh, I think it's interesting that they've have like stronger red and blue highlights on Venom now than they yes. did in the first season. Like it's very pronounced. Um, it really which is. I, yeah. I don't. I I liked it better before. I think they're too strong.
0: Now. I I don't mind it inherently because it sort of mimics. Spider-Man's red and blue or whatever. It's mm-hmm. not the choice I would make. One thing it does do though is it highlights what I don't like about this Venom design in particular, which is like his face and in, in, yep. like his face and his mouth and stuff. I feel yeah. like the highlighting really really highlights some of those details and makes them a little bit harder to ignore. He has like almost like a lizardy face. Yeah, um, he and does. I don't really he understand guy- why he has um, a
1: more like a snout, or like even a beak in some yeah, shots. it's, and it's really not, strange. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Don't yeah, know. and you're right. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that evident in the first season, just because of the type of shading wasn't highlighting it as yeah. much. I think
0: also an odd choice. I guess maybe it's because we're gonna get into the fact that he spawns a new symbiote, but also I think kind of an odd choice to add a bunch of red into his coloring when the when they're introducing a new red themed symbiote.
1: Yeah, which I, I, I like. I kind of I get it both ways. I guess I could sort of see where they're doing that just just to connect him more with Carnage. Just like re- I don't know, you know, to the yeah. remind kids that like Carnage is his offspring. There's you see the the red and black in Venom, but I also think it would have been nicer to keep them more color coded, black I and blue so and red and black. Like I think, I think keeping them color
0: coded cool. would be more aesthetically pleasing, and it's a different shade of red, like which yeah, doesn't matter that point. much, but like it's a notably different color.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, it's it's an odd but choice. But I think you're right.
0: I think that that was my first thought too. Was like, I guess it's just to like link them aesthetically. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I I, I kind of get the th- that thought process if that's the case. But I I don't think I I don't think it was necessary. Yeah,
0: honestly. Yeah.
1: So, Venom asks what Dormammu wants in return for the reunion now that he's back, and Dormammu instructs him to retrieve the interdimensional probe. Okay, coincidentally, maybe, just as Venom arrives at Stark Enterprises, the probe malfunctions, I guess. Maybe Dormammu did it. He doesn't say he doesn't take credit for it. If he did, maybe it all just so happened to
0: happen. But it's de- <laughs> especially confusing because Peter's spider sense goes off. So it had to be going off in, <sighs> in response to something other than Venom. Venom, yeah. Because... Like Venom wasn't Mm. there yet, but he was outside. So, presumably, it was going off because something was going to go wrong with the dimensional probe. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it, something's off about that, that sequence.
1: Yeah. I didn't really think about that. You're right. Yeah. I think, I think the easiest way to explain it is that Dormama used his magic to make the probe malfunction. And Peter's Spider Sense was responding to the probe malfunctioning because that, could have I yeah. don't know led to a like explosion or something that makes sense.
0: I didn't think about it that way because I'm still so primed not to think of magic as like a prominent force in this show, yeah, and
1: they also but they also explain every time magic comes up right so this if if this was the case, if that's what they were thinking when writing it, this is the one time that they don't explain it
0: and yeah. that that makes it sort of stand out, so anyway, explosion,
1: yeah, 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 so venom like. Shows up. <laughs> he's in the <laughs> auditorium. Is this, is it, do we see him? We see him swinging around outside. Do we see him fighting tanks first before he comes inside? Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. yeah he's like, I he's just
0: met with opposition first. There, I just there, thought it was interesting. Shockingly security at this event.
1: There is, and it is tanks, and I think – I don't know if it's in this episode or the next one, but at, at, at some point, you very clearly see that the tanks say NYPD on them. So this is the New York oh, police God. force that has these tanks. I didn't even tanks.
0: catch that. I hate yeah. that.
1: Yeah, it sucks. And, and, that, but but so here's it, like- it's – it fits into what we've been talking about, though, because I think it's um in the Slayer ultimate Slayer episode. There's that conversation about like integrating like defense stuff into yep. civilian things. And we're sort of like, well, you're in a universe with supervillains It actually does kind of make sense that they're going to be beefing up defensive capabilities. And I think alongside that, it means that cops are going to have fucking tanks in this universe if they have any hope, I guess, to fight supervillains. It just sucks that that means that cops had I mean
0: but the thing that's so upsetting about it is like it's not just in this universe and pardon my pedestal for a moment but like sure yeah cops actually have bearcat cat armored vehicles in real life like in our universe that's a thing that exists and it's ridiculous uh so it's like so frustrating that this is like supposed to be like probably like a sci-fi heightened like like the situation they're writing, we're in a superhero inhabited world. You know, everybody's sort of on edge and building their defenses to sort of match superheroes. Like, it makes sense inside the fictional world, but it's like, I don't know, it's too real. It's too real. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. sorry. At least Venom blows up a bunch of them. Yes, so. yeah. Venom said a cab in this episode. That's nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even realize that they said NYPD on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was hopeful, I guess, that they were just like National Guard, which isn't like that much better, but it's better than police having tanks, which, again, unfortunately, (laughs) real police departments do.
1: If it's not this episode, they show it explicitly. It's definitely like the, the next episode. There are this,
0: tanks in the iconic, next one for sure. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> I know that because they shoot lasers. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: of course. <laughs> There's no such thing as bullets in this show. <laughs> I just thought it was
0: fun that like there were tanks with like Cyclops sized laser beams.
1: <laughs> That's pretty badass.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Either way, Venom Getum gets through the tanks. He's in the auditorium. Peter sneaks away to suit up and swings in a Spider-Man. He can't put up much of a fight before Venom like immediately webs him up, but he gives his old Venom monologue about how he's like, "I'm Venom and I'm back and I hate Spider-Man," and that uh, gives uh, War Machine enough time to show up
0: <laughs> to <laughs> blast him. Which is weird because the, well, I'll talk about this more in the next episode because it's more relevant next week, but in this episode it is wholly unclear that James Rhodey and War Machine are not known by the public to be the same person. These two episodes never explore that, but it is made clear by the end of this two-parter that that is the case. (laughs) So it was very strange to me that like they meet Jim Rhodey for like a hot second and then War Machine shows up and they don't make it clear that like, cause like the Daredevil episodes spent so much time Making sure we understood that the characters in the universe do not know that Matt Murdock and Daredevil are the same char- like same person. These two episodes wholly unconcerned with that, but it is yeah. true. <laughs> like yeah. Spider Man does not know that that is Rhodey,
1: right? It is interesting. All everything with Iron Man and Rhodey is just so unnecessary. Weird. It's unnecessary and it's weird, like far it's, more it's, unnecessary
0: well, than the Dormammu Mordo stuff.
1: Yeah, right, because I think the Dormammu Mortar stuff, it's sort of like, oh, yeah, I get why you had to sort of involve them to be able to tell. Yeah, if you took them uh, out, you'd have to change
0: the story. Yeah, like, I I, I kind of get that. You would not have to change the story.
1: And it's and it's just odd because it's sort of like it is a, it is a weird situation, right? Because we have seen some good crossovers with 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 uh, with heroes that have in two parters that have been done really well and even like pretty well integrated into whatever plot that they're telling, you know, X Men story notwithstanding. That was an <laughs> odd one, right? Um, but that also yeah. that, that also is like a dozen characters that they're trying to cross over with. Totally. To be fair, like but you know, with Punisher and with Blade and with Daredevil, they integrate them pretty well into what's what's happening in the universe at that time. You get plenty of backstory with them. You get to spend time with them. And it's it's all really well balanced. I think all of those episodes we've had good things to say about mm-hmm. um, generally. And this episode takes such a wildly different approach to that. And I do think I wonder if it does have something to do with it being the only other time outside of X-Men where there is a currently airing show with that character starring in it. But unlike the X-Men, it's like – Airing in first run sy- uh, syndication, not on Vox Kids, um, so like I don't know if that maybe played a factor with like how much that they were maybe allowed to use them. I don't think I don't think that I, was, was the case though because Saban also did the Iron Man show, so that maybe ha- doesn't have anything to do with it. But it might be the case where like they assume that the audience is maybe more familiar with Iron Man than they were with like Punisher and Blade and, and Daredevil at the time. So they're sort of like, Oh, we're okay with like not giving an, as much time to explaining who they are or anything. So, but so I it's sort of like, well, we'll minimize the screen time, but then they have such little screen time that they just seem irrelevant to the episodes.
0: But like we're, and I don't know if, if, if you know the answer to this amazing, I just, I don't know. I, I certainly don't. I don't know. I don't know if you do, but like, Did audiences know Iron Man that much more than those other characters? Because, like, the MCU was, like, a blessing to Iron Man.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I don't mean, like, because
0: I didn't... He was not an A-lister at this time.
1: I didn't watch the Iron Man show when it was airing. I don't even know where it aired in my area. Like, I didn't watch it until it was in reruns, like, long
0: after. I literally only knew who Iron Man was because of that cartoon. I didn't even know he was a comic book character. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And I was aware yeah. of comic book characters. Not, I wasn't like a comic book reader, but like, I knew Spider-Man was from comics. I knew Batman was from comics. I knew Superman was from comics. I didn't know that Iron Man came from comics. I literally only knew him because of that cartoon. Yeah, I,
1: I guess like my thinking is more though, that like they were sort of treating this more how comics sort of treat other characters often. Like, they were thinking, okay, we we uh, we pretty much built this Marvel TV universe, and maybe it isn't as interlinked as like the comics are, but they are still we are still crossing them over in minor ways, and they're so they're sort of treating it like how when you read comics sometimes, like even when we're reading Miles Mor- the Miles Morales comics on the Patreon, mm-hmm. like there'll be times when it's like, oh, Captain America is just in this issue for whatever reason and doesn't really do much, but it was nice to see him and then he's gone. Yeah. They're sort of treating it like that, where it's just sort of like we're just gonna pull in another character from the Marvel universe. If you're interested in him, you can watch his show. That does But make we're sense. doing this to have a fun little guest spot because he does has his, have his own show. This shows the interconnectivity. He gets to do some cool stuff and then he's gone. I don't think it's satisfying or good, but I think that maybe is the approach that they're
0: taking. I think that's exactly it because he shows up in The Incredible Hulk too, right? Like he crosses over with that show right. as well. So this was probably to a degree, an attempt to have a shared universe. But I think what that ends up being is like it ends up feeling way more like the X-Men episodes like you're talking about, which John Semper admits to being a promotional thing, right? Like... Right, yeah. It was literally to draw people to this show, right? Um, And I imagine this was in part meant to draw people over to Iron Man. (laughs) And it feels like it. (laughs) Yeah. I... Like, But but it's, it's also it, a little bit complicated because Rhodey does exist. And John Semper has spoken about the fact that he wanted to incorporate more black characters from comics into this very ooh, show. And we often see call. that happening through crossovers, right? That's so, a good like, call. So it, there's still a little bit of weirdness there because even if he was required to include these two characters, you would think that he would take better advantage of the fact that he has Rhodey right there. However, counterpoint to what I just said from my own brain... Uh, he also doesn't like being told what to do. So, I maybe there's just a lot of things going on where like you would think that he'd be excited to use Rhodey, but he was if he was told to use Rhodey, then maybe he wasn't excited to use Rhodey. <laughs> like it just I don't know. But
1: but but I do think that there is something to be said about Rhodey being the the first of those two characters to show up. True. And Iron Man isn't even really in this episode. It's just Tony. Like Iron Man doesn't really show up until the next one, right? Yeah. So. I do think the idea th- – I think it is really cool that they give an entire episode to – not an entire episode because he's still barely in it. But you know what I mean? Like this if whole thing – it's the
0: promotion thing, he's the one yeah, featured in this episode promoting right, the show.
1: Right. Iron Man doesn't show up until the next one, you know, which granted he's there for the big climax and everything. But like they are holding holding the actual Iron Man of it all off for as long as possible. And letting Rhodey get the spotlight in the meantime, which is pretty cool, Mm -hmm. and 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 I I didn't think about that, but you know it does kind of fit with what Semper has said about wanting to get more Black Marvel characters, you know, getting getting them the spotlight in this show whenever he could. And this is an opportunity if you're going to have an Iron Man crossover, like he could have done it without Rhodey, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He gave Rhodey a pretty solid spotlight. Well,
0: you'd have to then. Well, you wouldn't have to do it without James Avery, but right. It's also an opportunity to have James Avery on your production. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool, too. Anyway, War Machine's here. Yeah. He shows up. He just shows up. And for all these characters know, he just shows up. And he was not predicated by anything. (laughs) Uh, Just he's there. Uh, And and he shows up in time to, like, blast Venom, uh, which is good because we'll see pretty much through the rest of this episode, which we're actually, like, rapidly approaching the end of – And next week, like, Spider-Man stands no chance against Venom. These two episodes do not give Spider-Man any fighting chance against Venom. So it's good that he has all these other characters here. Good that War Machine is here. um, Because it allows Spider-Man to sort of free himself up. So chaos is happening a little bit. Uh, I I feel like after our tangent, I have to, like, remind even myself where we were. Gosh, what is even happening in this episode? Oh, yeah, Venom pretty much just showed up. War Machine showed up right after him. Uh, Jonah and Kafka are, like we we cut back to them watching the events unfold on the news. And then we also cut to Mordo who's in the auditorium, but like in a different spot watching from like behind an auditorium seat, which I think is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> literally like a magic sorcerer who's like, I'm not getting involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and basically like Mordo is like, this is too chaotic and Venom is very distracted right now. And there's suddenly this war machine guy getting in the way We literally just came here to get this probe and I don't think we're going to get it. So Dormammu's like, just chill. uh, Because if Venom doesn't take the probe, we have a backup plan. We'll find somebody else. Get this. The symbiote reproduced. It had a baby. So we just got to find somebody else. If Venom's distracted, we'll get somebody else. (laughs) I just love Mordo's reaction. Like the symbiote can do that. I love Dormammu's reaction, which I believe is just, it did. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a. The symbiote can do that. It did. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the symbiotes had a baby. Mordo, of course, is like, okay, but then how do you find somebody as he says fanatical as Eddie? Because you were just talking about how Eddie is the perfect host for one of these things. And just then, right on cue, the man from Central Park arrives at Ravencroft and delivers the newly quote born symbiote to Cletus Cassidy
1: Congratulations on your new baby. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just a sweet baby boy who vows to wreak Carnage with with this new symbiote. Yep. (laughs) Um, As you do. Yeah. uh, Thus with the enthusiasm from Wardo, Carnage is born. I like Carnage's design and how his tentacles are constantly moving.
0: I... Okay. I also like carnage's design which is not a thing i was expecting to say yeah coming into I was this. wondering i was wondering i don't really love his tendrils though but that has nothing to do with like aesthetics i just don't like them like personally they weird me out even in the comics oh, when I, they're like not moving
1: i like that about it though i like how often yeah. how kind of creepy and off-putting an alien totally they are like because he because I, I know they do it with venom sometimes but it's like oh it's like a permanent thing with Carnage. It's like just that's so a big gr-
0: it, it makes me think that there are just like worms in him. Yeah. It's so gross, which I is good. That. It's effective, but no, I'm surprised. I really like his design too. I like it better than Venom's. Um, I do too. And, yeah. I, and I wish that they, uh, the, the face and head and eyes that they use on Carnage. I wish they had done something more similar to that on Venom. Yeah. Uh, because Venom has these weird lips um, and like his eyes are sort of strange. Like they're, they're sort mm-hmm. of like hard, hard to comprehend like the shape of Venom's yeah. eyes and Carnage is just, honestly, I think an improvement, like a, a significant improvement. Yeah. I mean, keep Venom's body shape and everything as a distinguishing sure. feature, right? Cause Eddie and Cletus are like very different. Um, but the head on, on Venom is so distracting and the head on Carnage is so fucking cool, especially when it like is. it's weird designs that sort of like reference the comic, like sort of weird swirliness that is Carnage. Mm hmm. It's very cool. That's
1: what I like about it, it's just like it's it's very aesthetically pleasing, and like even despite how like creepy it all is, like it's kind of pretty to look at. Um, and and I guess like yeah, I agree with you. I I wonder if it was kind of a response to the Venom design, because obviously the Venom design was very very early in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was probably one of the earliest character designs that they even made. Just so change like, it. maybe I I guess I can sort of see why they would want to keep continuity as much as they can so that you have like subtle tweaks but not fully change it yeah and so then they carnage is sort of like the second chance to do a symbiote character because the thing they about the Carnage elements, design is they that they change it feels... colors
0: they change his tongue like they yeah i don't know but honestly like, it I, might be a toy thing
1: Uh that's a good point actually yeah yeah because it's sort of like you already got the toy designs and you're not going to want to make a completely new toy you can yeah. when you could just return out a new version a repainted version or whatever of the old one mm-hmm. so like that kind of checks out. But I think the fact that the carnage design is so close to like how he looked when he first debuted in the comics, I think it says a lot where it's just sort of like, let's just do that. Like that works Yeah. Uh, instead of trying to to change it. Um, Cause it does. It's, it's a very distinctive good looking design. I think that's another, the other reason why carnage sort of sticks out from this show, even though he's not really in it a lot is because it's just such a striking looking character mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he's here. He's beautiful. He breaks out of Ravencroft and makes his way to Stark Enterprises just in time to prevent War Machine from defeating Venom with a sonic blast. He also immediately reveals that he is Cassidy to (laughs) Spider-Man.
0: He sure does. Yeah. Well, after a moment of excitement at having a counterpart, Venom realizes, well, wait a second. Why do I have a counterpart? I was sent here on a mission. Why did Dormammu send someone else to carry out the same task? And just as he's sort of wondering about this, Dr. Kafka arrives to appeal to Eddie, uh, which is a thing we'll continue to see over the course of this two-parter now. Um, Carnage makes quick work of War Machine and Spider-Man, quickly grabs the interdimensional probe, um, but in the process injures Dr. Kafka, which distracts Venom even further. So Venom is having this sort of like, wait, why is there another... Why is there another one of me? And then wait a second—now he's hurting my girlfriend. <laughs> What's going on here?
1: Yeah, I also have to call out. For some reason, for years, it has been stuck in my head, like burned into my brain. The way that Hank Azaria says "Ashley" because he says it a <laughs> lot over these two episodes.
0: He does. It's, Ashley. I mean, but it what makes about sense Ashley? That he would, but it's so funny every time he does. Yeah, I had no idea her name was Ashley. There's no reason that it shouldn't be, but I just had no idea. Fucking Ashley.
1: Yeah. (laughs) God. Ashley Ashley fucking Kafka.
0: Ashley (laughs) Kafka. Well, naturally Venom is going to tend to Dr. Kafka who has just been injured by carnage. And Dr. Kafka reminds Ashley reminds Eddie of his desire to be a warrior for the innocent. Uh, And as carnage, this is where there's like three seconds left in this episode. Carnage Threatens Spider Man with a blade hand. I think this is the first time we see like the blade hand, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Um, And then we see Venom sort of menacingly approach the two, and then we're hit with it to be continued. Um, Which I guess is like an intentionally confusing ending because you have Ashley being like, You're supposed to be good. And Mm -hmm. then Venom kind of is watching, I guess, as Carnage is ready to like kill Spider Man. I mean, I guess you kind of know what's going to happen, but. Yeah. You also don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, some faces of the episode here. How could we not with Cletus Cassidy being present? uh, Because his face is always at 112%. So just a couple here. One, his introduction where Detective Lee turns a flashlight directly into his face and you just see his sort of like maniacal smile that is like intentionally way too far turned up eyes it's wide very, open, that's, very it's, this The most creepy. jokery
1: the most jokery that he is on this show is like this face drawing, mm-hmm. I
0: think. Yeah. But the intensity doesn't really die down, uh, at least in this episode at all. Uh, there's also a moment where he's sort of at his most fanatical sort of, I think this is when he, I think this is when he's presented with the symbiote and yeah, it's sort of like, yes, I will wreak carnage. And there's this sort of like lighting from underneath and it's casting these like dramatic shadows on his sort of sunken eyes and whatnot. So Cassidy's face in general is just kind of a treasure trove, even though it's very disturbing.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not exactly pleasant to look at. No, I wouldn't say so. so.
0: It's well done. It's just, yeah, it's not pleasant to look at. Yeah. The hands, I'm just noticing the hands, the hands in the second frame, really good. <laughs>
1: That's a good point, yeah. That's a
0: weird thing to say about people who are like professional artists, but like mm-hmm. they just look really good and very proportional.
1: Well, our boy's back, so I gotta pull a booty image. Venom's booty's back, baby. I just got a good one that stuck out to me when he's scaring a webbed up Spidey. Uh I was trying to think of like some funny like pun or innuendo to come and nothing came, so you know the two boy the two boyfriends, Venom's, but just come up with something clever with that. Uh, you know, Spidey's covered in a sticky, wet white substance. There you go. You did it. Figure it out, everybody. <laughs> 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 it's just a good. It's a good draw. I like it. It's a good. It's a good frame, and it's a good framing of uh, Venom's backside.
0: Venom's so. butts on display, everybody. Mm-hmm. That's what Derek's yeah. trying to say. <laughs>
1: it's been a, it's been a while. It's been I have a, a question for you
0: because it's mm-hmm. visible in this image. Yeah. Are these designs on Venom's um, forms new? I think they are. I, I, don't remember. I mean, if they were in the the the
1: original three parter, they were they must they were subtle because yeah. I didn't notice them until now
0: and they're consistent. It's not it's not just in yeah. this moment because I noticed it when I was watching. I kept thinking like I got to try to figure out like if it's an actual design or if it's just meant to be more color. I don't I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. It's I mean it's fine, but it's
0: weird. I don't really understand it, why. It could be cool. It just has nothing to do with Venom, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. It gives me a little bit of Spider-Man Unlimited vibes,
0: I feel like. Well, hey, I then I love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) well yeah this episode do you love it
1: Uh, it's okay I think it's um there's some good it's it's I don't know I think it definitely falls like middle mid tier for me now Mm -hmm. even even I remember when I was a kid I remember feeling like it was sort of a step down from the original Venom three-parter and I think because there is it's just so much so much happening. There's so much happening, Doug. Why, there is. why are there so many things? There is. <laughs> I,
0: it, I, I think, though, the only thing I would really take away from it, though, is the inclusion of Iron Man and War Machine. Iron Man's not even in this one. This is a really hard one to separate into two episodes. Yeah. I think if you if you separate them into two episodes, and we're looking at just this first one, yeah, it's it's probably sort of mid-tier. But I like a lot of the ideas that we're eventually going to get to, and I can't unknow them Mm -hmm. so I guess if I try to like unknow them this episode alone like if I were just watching this week to week and I saw this episode I do think it would be like pretty unsatisfying Um, but they do set up well why the symbiote is back they do set up why cletus cat like who cletus cassidy is why he ends up with the symbiote it's not coincidence really to be honest like they do a pretty decent job i mean of course him being introduced now isn't Mm -hmm. exactly like seating or anything so in that in that regard it's a coincidence but like why he specifically ends up with a symbiote isn't a coincidence really Um, because dormammu would know who he was whether he was next to eddie brock or not you know, right, right. Um, so they do like a decent job of like getting everything where it needs to be. It's pacing for the amount of stuff they pack into it is pretty good. So, yeah, it's it's, it's weird. I, I think I don't think this the the sum of the parts is necessarily greater than the whole. I don't think the whole is necessarily greater than the sum of the parts. It feels mm-hmm. like totally in balance, which isn't the best you could do but it's not the worst you could do. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I think they do a good job of, of setting up Eddie having an arc too because... That's a good point, yeah. Because that's that could have... Because you could have really with like I that would be a really easy thing to whiff I think or make it feel kind of unearned like as many issues as I have with the Dr. Kafka stuff obviously and that's a big part of what Eddie's arc ends up being in the next one especially like setting sort of resetting Eddie to a point where he could have some kind of redemption um, and balancing that in a way that still lets him be a villain but still kind of have a redemptive arc to it mm-hmm. I think this episode does a good job with setting all of that setting all the pieces in place in a way that doesn't feel like they're retconning anything you yeah. um, know they, they kind of are a little bit but like like not so much that it's a big deal, like, I think it all works. So, I like yeah. it though.
0: I do too. I, I, I think like, it, I, I thought this was really fun. Like, it's funny because, like, when we've talked about, um, you know, the sort of like sequel to the Spider Slayer stuff, I remember saying, like, good ideas. I just didn't have any fun watching it. This one, I don't even know if the ideas are necessarily as strong. They might be. I, I'll have to think about that. They might be stronger actually. But what I do know is I had way more fun watching these. And it's Carnage, which is another character I don't typically like. So I think that's significant, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. It is, it is a really fun episode. Um, it's just, like, it's weird to, like, pick apart it. But it's not, like, exhausting to watch or anything like no, that. No, I watched it and it's not, quite a few times, actually. Yeah, and it's not, and it's not like, the – the. I mean, it was like you said, it's paced really well, so it's not, like, the weird chaos of some episodes that are also overstuffed. It's just, like, it's one of those things where it's sort of, like – I don't know if it it holds up when you think about it a lot because then it's just sort of like could have been tighter, but it's still good, I think, in terms of like entertainment television. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll be yeah. very excited to talk about next week's episode. Get yeah. hype for next week, everybody, because I think when I'm able to incorporate some of that stuff into my feelings, I'll be a lot higher on the whole.
1: I think so too. Because I do think some of the weirdness of this one is kind of justified by next week it's still a lot of things happening and they haven't points. fully
0: explained everything that's going on by the time yeah, this episode that's ends that's fair this it's, it's 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 actually surprising to me and maybe may you you would know better than i would maybe this just wasn't a thing that they were necessarily doing but i think they were it's it's interesting to me that these two episodes didn't air on the same day yeah i think they um, should have
1: i yeah i guess most uh, pretty much every episode was airing week to week of this of this show by this point so i'm not surprised this feels
0: like such a bigger deal though that is venom i don't know and carnage i guess i could say that about any of these like two parts but you
1: can also stretch out the venom and carnage stuff over two weeks too and get two weeks worth of of venom and carnage good point
0: anyway (laughs) if you'd like to stretch out your enjoyment of our voices You can do that for a very long time over on our Patreon because there's a butt ton of stuff over there. A venom butt ton of stuff over (laughs) there. Um, You can check that out at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Uh, We talk about comics. We talk about movie trailers. We talk about uh, movies that never got made even so check that out see if there's something over there for you also check out our discord there should be a link in the show notes but if for some reason it's not working just let us know we'll make sure you get in there every once in a while it pops off i would love for it to pop off a little bit more frequently Uh, so more people means more popping off Uh, if you'd like to find me or derek individually uh, just doing our thing you can do that all over the place derek where can people find you and the stuff you're working on Sure, you can find me
1: on Twitter at Derek B. Gale, and you can find me on YouTube under a video essay show, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media, but from a positive lens. What about you, Doug?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Ickybully, IckyBooley, I C K Y B O O L E U Y. If you like Pokemon, you can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road. It's a Pokemon podcast. If you like books and video games, you can listen to me on a podcast called Novel Gaming. Um, And there are links to all those things on my Twitter. So just go to my Twitter. Uh, You can also check out our monthly podcast called Falling with Style. It's an ongoing Pixar movie marathon where Derek and I watch every Pixar film chronologically. Our episode on Monsters University is out right now. uh, And you can find that wherever you get your podcasts please visit our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com for a full archive of everything Derek and I are making together and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod. You can also email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. And of course, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe on any and all podcast platforms that you're using because those ratings and reviews make us much easier to find for anybody looking for Spider-Man content next week. Spider Man keeps his friends close and enemies closer. But what does that mean in the episode <laughs> called Carnage? See ya. Bye. My stomach growled the moment I hit record.